Hello, welcome back to Future of Film podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz. I'm the founder of Future of Film, host of this show, where it is our job to share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers, and disruptors who are shaping the future of film. And today I am thrilled to welcome to the show, Emma Needell. Emma is a filmmaker and world builder who champions original storytelling. Her script, The Waterman, directed by David Oyelowo and produced by Oprah Winfrey, no less, premiered at TIFF and is now on Netflix. In 2021, she won an epic mega grant to use Unreal Engine on a short film that explores the power of technology to bring people together. And now Emma regularly uses Unreal as part of her writing and creative practice. That film premiered at Tribeca, by the way, is now on the festival circuit. And more recently, Emma is the world builder and head of story for the Web3 content company Tally Labs, the studio behind the Azabala project, which we get into on this conversation. Emma joined the Future of Film Incubator program recently to talk with us about her career, her creative practice, and the use of technologies like Unreal, Web3, and AI in her creative process. This is definitely one of those conversations on the podcast where I just felt really privileged to be part of. Emma shares so much valuable information from the heart, really. And I just hope you enjoy listening and learning as much as I did. Emma, welcome to Future of Film. Thank you so much, Alex. It's great to be here and excited to talk to everybody. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really excited to have this conversation and I'd love if we could just start, if you could just sort of introduce yourself and how you how you approach your work. So I'm a bit of a storyteller, so I'm going to start a little bit at the beginning um, because it's relevant to my work. But I grew up on a cattle ranch in rural Colorado in the United States. Uh, we didn't have television, but we had all, you know, a bunch of uh, untouched land. And that really is what kickstarted my imagination and, and world building. Um, we, you know, we also were the only Jewish family in our county. Um, so we were a little bit ostracized from um, the typical community activities. Um, and so it was just, you know, my imagination was in many ways, my companion. Um, it kept me sane until I could escape <laughs> the cattle ranch life. Um, I moved to Los Angeles, uh, writing and directing films it was always the dream, always the North star. Um, but I showed up to LA with, you know, a suitcase in my car, didn't know anybody. And for the first couple of years, really, you know, hustled and struggled to make connections and find my place in Hollywood. Um, in that time, I started writing. I never imagined myself being a writer. Directing was always the goal. Um, but writing, you can do by yourself and for free. And so I fell in love with it because it was creatively empowering and I didn't need anybody else or any other resources to do it. I and then, and I fell in love with it. And really now um, I'm a writer for most of my professional career. But I had my big break in Hollywood at age 24. I wrote this script called The Waterman. And it was, it went, you know, viral in Hollywood. 
Uh, it ended up being picked up by Oprah Winfrey. David Oyelowo uh, ended up directing and starring in it. The film went to the Toronto International Film Festival in 2020 and was later acquired by Netflix. Uh, since then, I've worked in a range of different projects, some television, uh, some film, all original ideas, so nothing based on IP. I think a lot of the things you see coming out of Hollywood are based off of IP. And that was definitely the flag I wanted to plant as my personal brand, um, only original projects. I've directed projects. Um, Alex did touch on uh, an Unreal Engine collaboration that I did. Uh, and since then, I've also started to begin building a franchise in Web3, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, at some point as well. Yeah, I, I'd love to talk about all of that. And yeah, and, and the Unreal Engine was the, the that, that was the, how I first discovered your work. And I saw you talking about how you were adopted those that tool to uh to 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 combine with your writing and to enhance your writing and i'd love if you could just talk a bit about that journey and how you first how you how you came up about it in the first place yeah so unreal engine for those of you who don't know is a um game engine uh built by epic games they make famously fortnite but they also have a software for building games called Unreal Engine that's free for anyone to use. Uh, you can download it on your computer right now and begin playing around with it. So in 2020, um, COVID hit and we were all quarantining at home. And my husband plays a lot of video games. And usually I never pay attention to that, but it was the pandemic. There was nothing else to do. And so I started watching him play The Last of Us. And it hit me how cinematic, and you know, of course now it's an amazing TV show, which is leading all the Emmys, but at the time it, it wasn't, um, it was just a game, but it, it was incredibly cinematic. And it got me down this wormhole of what is this technology? Video games have changed so much since, you know, Mario Kart, which is when I played video games. Uh, and it led me just to discover Unreal Engine. Uh, I had a lot of time on my hands. I downloaded Unreal Engine and I started to teach myself how to use the software. And word to the wise, it is incredibly difficult to, at first, incredibly daunting. You know, it's this, if Premiere or After Effects is intimidating to you, this is a whole nother level. Uh, you know, there's a lot of coding. It's for video games. If you're a filmmaker, you probably don't need all the functionality and flow charts of how different buttons connect to different things. But still, it's a very, very powerful tool for creating video game cinematics or for filmmakers, cinematics and cinema in general. I taught myself and took a course on Unreal Engine. And what I really wanted to focus on was a part of the program called Sequencer. That is the most important part of Unreal Engine for anyone who's interested in using the software for cinema. Sequencer is basically like their version of Final Cut Pro or Premiere with an editing timeline. But what's really cool is you can put cameras in the 3D space where you have your characters and your set, and you can do things like control the lighting or camera moves. And it was this sort of light bulb moment of, you know, I'm never going to be someone, or at least right now I'm not, maybe with enough years practice, but I'm not someone currently who can use Unreal Engine to get final pixel quality 
projects. But what I can use Unreal Engine for is supercharged uh, storyboarding, which is exactly what I used it for. So I had all this time, right? I was working on a short film script and I thought to myself, why not create an animatic of my entire short film? And that's what I ended up doing. And it was really cool. I ended up using Unreal Engine to rewrite the script because I could play around with 3D motion, with camera movement. I could put a score to it. I could mess, mess around with lighting and with basic blocking. And suddenly Unreal Engine became this very powerful tool and companion during the development process, which, you know, that's kind of the workflow for animation, right? That, that's exactly what they do. They'll write the script, create the animatic, rewrite the script based off of that. But that never happens on live action films. Uh, and that's really what became the game changer for me on this project. Was that like a solitary process where you're you're you're, you're writing, you're iterating, or were you also were there opportunities to to share with other you know collaborators in that process? So creating it definitely solitary. But if you're a writer, that's no problem. <laughs> but what was really cool, you know, usually you share a script or potentially a storyboard or a lookbook with people for notes, but you never get to share something like a moving image, like an animatic for notes. And that is exactly what I did. So for the short film, you know, I sent it to different producers. I sent it to my cinematographer, to my editor. And what was awesome is I got feedback before we even stepped on set about the animatic and I could adjust from there. But what was also great, you know, the whole point of directing a project is to get everyone inside your head to share the same dream. And it just makes set, which, you know, time is money on, on the set. It makes it a lot more efficient on the day when everyone sort of understands the tone and the pacing that you're going for. And what ended up happening is because everyone had seen that animatic, we all had, it made just pre-production and prep a lot faster and a lot smoother. And it allowed the experts of the of particular crafts, like my cinematographer, to come in with his own ideas. I'm like, hey, I saw your animatic. This is great. He didn't say this part, but he is a cinematographer, right? He's better at blocking, at lighting, at camera placement than I am. So he could come with references to enhance my vision for it, which that's the dream, right? That's the ultimate dream you, as a director, you want to bring all these different experts of their craft to help build this project. And then, you know, one of my favorite stories is with the editor. We ended up shooting a lot more than we needed for a 20 minute short film. We had, you know, um, our first cut was 40 minutes long. We we're sort of like, oh my gosh, I love everything. How are we going to cut it? And I just told the editor, you know, you have two weeks to see what you can do. And because he'd seen the animatic, he knew exactly the feeling and the tone and the vibe I was going for. And he basically turned around a cut that we did a few edits here and there, but it was so close to perfection. It's basically the final cut of the film, which is amazing. Was that just for that project or you? do you feel like you're going to incorporate Unreal into your, your workflow? I still do. Forward? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For particular scenes where I have it in my head and I just want to make sure it lines up or I'm, I'm maybe I'm a little bit stuck on something and it really helps to recreate it 
like you're on set, like you're seeing it, just to be like, I know this is the tone I'm going for. It's very, in the project I'm working on now, it's a very specific tone. Um, it's, it's a cosmic horror film, right? And cosmic horror is so specific. It, it's not a jump scare film. It's all about that sort of blood curdling dread in your, in the pit of your stomach. And so I'll use Unreal Engine to block out different scenes just to see like, is this, does this give me the feeling I want for this scene or, or really for this film in general? Uh, cause you know, a script a script is just the bare bones, you know, plan to get everyone else on board and excited. But a script is not the movie. It can't be because a movie is moving image, it's color, it's lighting, and it's it's cinema, it's um the score. And talking about ways to convey your vision and to sort of flesh it out and share that. Do you are there other tools you use? I'm wondering you know whether you include what what, your, what are your feelings about ai emma do you do you bring that into the process and yeah great question i use Midjourney every day i know a i'm a, I'm a member of the writers guild and we're on strike and one of the big questions is about ai and i want to be really clear here uh and really clear in like the the sort of ethical lines i think we all need to draw um, human artists need to be paid for their work, for sure. Uh, I don't use Midjourney or AI in anything where uh, to, for the end product. It's all for ideas in my head or for a pitch deck, right? Um, to sell a project to then hire human artists on. I think it's an incredibly powerful tool. You know, one tool before Midjourney that I used, it's not even a tool, it's a website. It's called Shot Deck. And there are other websites like this, basically aggregates of films where you can, and ShotTech is amazing because you can type in very specific keywords um, like, oh, an extreme close-up of an eye at night um, or, oh, a two shot with red hues, um, a man and a woman uh, in front of a grocery store. And it will come up and it's all images pulled from films. And so I would use that for my pitch decks. Midjourney is great because I can do, I don't have to search Google images like a mad woman or search shot deck as I can create exactly what's in my head. And for someone who wants to do original storytelling, it really is a game changer because often the exact texture I'm going for doesn't exist yet. And if it does, I actually now with Midjourney try and push myself to create something for these pitch decks that are completely new. So to be honest with you, I absolutely love it. Um, where the line for me is is drawn, um, anything where I'm making, you know, where it's like the final pixel that we're we're sending out to an audience, that has to be done with with people. Um, you know, it's my job too as a screenwriter. I've used ChatGPT. I it took me, you know, three months before ChatGPT came out because I was so scared about what it would mean for me. Um, and to be honest with you, I, of course, it's probably going to get better, which is um, scary, but I have found myself trying because writing is hard and everyone here who's written anything knows how hard and um, aggravating it can be. So of course, what if there was a cheat code where you could write a perfect script? It's funny, I will catch myself 
sometimes with chat GPT. Um, it's great. I use it for a placeholder, like, okay, I need a monologue in this scene. Uh, I don't really want to work on this scene right now. Cause I actually want to focus or on that monologue. So I want to focus on the whole shape of this scene. So I'll use chat GPT to create a stand in for the monologue. But I, I have found myself sometimes thinking, well, what if I could push it? What if I could really get it there? And then I'll spend a couple hours refining the um, the the search prompts. And then it hits me like, Emma, you could just write this. Just stop, get over your writer's block and just spend the time actually writing this monologue. And you would, and it, it always get there faster if I just write it. Um, so it's a good lesson and don't be lazy. Um, but I think, what I what I I think AI is really powerful for artists who are trying to um, put get their work attention in front of the eyes of you know these gatekeepers like studio executives or producers. Incredibly powerful. I think where I get really wary about AI and where I'm glad both the WGA, the Writers Guild, and the Actors Guild SAG after they're standing up for no, uh, for the studios not to use AI. Because at the end of the day, what they care about their bottom line, they care about profit. And that to me is where it gets really unethical, unethical, um, it, where you're pushing human artists out of a job. You mentioned the strike and I mean, how's that, how's that personally affecting you at the moment? And what, yeah, well, what, what's your sort of, you're obviously a union member, so I get, I get you know you're on board, but um, yeah, tell, tell us your perspective. It's more information about what is going on and what is broken in Hollywood is coming to light. Um, you know what what has been there's a an article that really I haven't stopped thinking about, and um, I can pull it up on my phone for the correct where I found it because it was very striking. Um, if we want, if we want me to cite my sources here, but you know, one thing that it, uh, the article touched on was how the streaming model really isn't a good business model for long-term profitability. You know, there's the, the artist in me who hates that profits are so tied to this, um, to, to film as an art form. Um, you know, I definitely sometimes get a little, Europe curious of like, oh, what's going on over there? You know, where there's actually government funding for art. Um, what a concept. I wish that would come to America. Um, but you know, that's the that's the reality of of our industry, at least um in America. Uh so it's been really eye-opening to see how sort of broken parts of the system have have become because basically it's like a Wall Street mentality applied to entertainment. Um, and a bubble has burst. So at one level, whoa, these problems are so big. And I, I feel myself definitely spinning out when I try to wrap my head around how big of a problem this is. It doesn't help that all the news publications I read cover it 24-7, um, and I'm probably looking for it too. But on the other hand, um, I think the biggest part of the labor strike that's going on that I agree with is the AI component. Uh, chat GPT is only going to get more powerful. I think, you know, one thing that has come to light, I didn't know how language model AI programs worked. They scrape data and basically plagiarize from other artists' work. And that is wrong. And there, I think there needs to be a residual system 
for artists' work that is being used for these language models. That's something that needs to come up. That's not what the strike is about, but I feel like um, this is a really good first step of just don't use AI mod, don't use AI to replace actors and writers. I think you know IOTSI, which is another guild for animation animators for concept artists. That needs to. That's I hope this strike gives everyone else in the art community a boost to fight for their rights. Um, so I'm in full support. That said, of course, it's in some ways tragic, right? Um, I had one project that was um, hopefully going to film um, a feature uh, that I wrote. It had all the funding. It was international. The script was done, locked. But now with the writer's strike, who knows when we're going to go into production with that. Uh, and then I have projects, one in development with the studio, and then one I'm hoping to pitch, or I was hoping to pitch. So it, of course it slows everything down. It's it stopped everything. And as an artist, it can feel really frustrating, especially, you know, this one project that was set to film. So I've been working on it for eight years, right? And so it's it's it can be really heartbreaking. But I I do think that the short-term loss is worth the long-term gain, especially because I mean you know, all these language, these AI language models, these AI programs came out last year. This is so new. It is so new that Guild, I don't even think had their mind fully wrapped around how important AI was when they began negotiations with the AMPTP. It only after ChatGPT became so mainstream that they were like, whoa, okay, we're doubling down on that. So, I mean, it's just happening at a, such a fast rate all these changes and yeah, disruptions. You're listening to Future of Film podcast with me, Alex Stoltz. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about Future of Film, head over to futureoffilm.live. If you're not already, you can already sign up to our newsletter there, which contains not only the latest opportunities and news from Future of Film, but also our pick of the latest articles and opportunities from across the industry. So that's all available now at futureoffilm.live. And now back to the show. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned about the streaming model. I mean, that's obviously, that was ostensibly what the strike was about, right? About that sort of more equitable re- uh, share of profits or or at least you know um residuals uh, a residual residuals model. Yeah, yeah a residual model right which is the the model which has been more or less moved away from with the with the streaming and and, and that just you know it it has so many different effects one of which is you, you know you, there's not that incentive as an artist to really to, to to give it your all and to um you know there's for the sake of a project you want to do that but there's not that sort of financial upside well and i think same with the studio side um their mo has been um more content is more better <laughs> to put it really bluntly um and so it's it's a it's a churning machine of just get out stuff as fast as you can. Don't worry about the quality. Development times for scripts have been cut so short. 
you know, writer's rooms that used to be 20 weeks are now 10, if not shorter. And so we're seeing it, you know, I think everyone has a moment where, you know, you'll go on Netflix or a form of the max formerly known as HBO max or Hulu or whatever, wherever you get your content and you'll start a show and it just isn't that good. And it might even be with an actor you love or a director you love or a writer you love. And there's just a little bit of disappointment. I know I've definitely felt that with some shows. Uh, and I think you're seeing the consequence of, of what has been a really um, broken model for a long time, which is, you know, the artists don't have as much of an incentive, but truly neither do the studios. And and their their business model has been growth for growth's sake. And, you know, I think we're seeing it in tech. Um, I'm sure we're seeing it in other sectors too, where there's been a huge bubble and and it has burst. And so I think that's a, a huge part of what we're seeing too, these massive macroeconomic forces that are kind of, you know, um, churning us all up and and affecting us all in so many different ways. Well, you've I know you've recently... Um been involved in a, in a different type of economics i suppose with um with nfts and and web3 and building story worlds in in that space and i'd love if you could talk a little bit about your experience there. talk about a bubble right <laughs> <laughs> okay oh my gosh I didn't, didn't perfect make that segue jump. yeah <laughs> yeah um let me tell you about my journey with um, NFTs. So last year, um, everyone was talking about NFTs and I definitely had a, for me, it was like, these are dumb. Um, you know, the board ape yacht club, silly, uh, way overinflated. No one should be paying this much money for a JPEG. I didn't understand the blockchain. And when people talk about the blockchain, my eyes glaze over. Um, so I definitely had a lot of doubts, but then there was actually from the board API club um one the the really crazy thing with nfts which you can see the really cool potential here if you buy one it with certain projects and board api club is, is a part of this you have full uncapped commercial rights that means that you know with the ip that is board api club um one way i would think about it is imagine the movie beauty and the beast disney's beauty and the beast you could own Lumiere or Mrs. Potts, and you can do anything with that with that NFT. So um, two guys who bought an NFT, a Board Ape NFT, they wrote a book, no quotes, they wrote a book um, about their Board Ape who they said was the, the valet at the Board Ape Yacht Club. And he was going to write a tell-all book about his work uh, at the Yacht Club, you know, parking boats. And he went viral. The, this character, this NFT character went viral. They opened a, a licensing, um, they opened a licensing system with NFTs where you could license your board ape to the book. If your character was cast, you would get royalties on the back end of the book selling. So they did all of this. They had um, thousands, I think 4,000 different people create characters and license their board apes to the book. And then the book made a couple million dollars in revenue. And people actually are getting royalties from that book sale. 
at the time I was in a fight with a shall not be named studio about residual checks of my own. They hadn't paid me. Um, and so it kind of clicked of, wow, blockchain doesn't make a lot of sense, but there is something interesting here of what if there was a new way to do residuals. And, you know, I don't, I think it's um, interesting now that the huge fight with Hollywood about residuals, it's clearly a broken system, but for me, it had broken last year. So that's what really got me started of, wow, you can be creative. You can create a character that you have all the rights for and be paid for it. That's amazing. That's, that's what a great entryway into sustainable artistry and creativity. And so I definitely got into it sort of starry eyed and full of hope. And I actually started working with these, the two guys who bought the NF, the board ape NFT. Cause for, for me, it was like, they're doing it right. Um, you know, they're not trying to, you know, um, over inflate how valuable a board NFT is by giving one to Paris Hilton or Jimmy Fallon. I mean, they're in it for the create, for the potential of creativity. And so what we started doing um, together was creating a, an NFT project called Azerbala. And Azerbala is a jungle punk franchise. So, you know, you've heard of diesel punk, you've heard of steampunk. Well, this is that sort of texture, but in the jungle. Um, and we uh, brought on an amazing artist, Ty Carter, who has done uh, he's a big Hollywood character designer. He's worked on Nimona. He's worked on Pixar films and he wanted to create the look and became the creative director for Azerbala and then brought a whole team of artists from Hollywood who were able to create on something original, right? That wasn't just a derivative of another Disney project. Um, and again, my whole thing, right? Something original. And it was this really beautiful it's it's been this really beautiful collaboration where we're all building this jungle punk franchise together and the nft collection is just one vertical it's sort of a way for people to down the line when we do create content they can create a character that we can cast in our content and we haven't even launched yet we're launching um sometime i don't even know if i can say but sometime in august the whole project will be launching um, and and uh, people can, and the NFTs are free. People can get one of these NFTs and create a character. We have character building software uh, and down the line, again, license their, their character. And so it's this really cool way of building a fan base, of building a world, of building a franchise outside the Hollywood system that also rewards people who may not have a connection to Hollywood for their creativity. And so for me, that's what gets me up in the morning and still excited about Web3. And if I'm completely honest, I'm really happy the sort of craze with it is over because no one should be buying a, a four-day JPEG effectively um, for millions of dollars. That's unsustainable. And you're going to, of course, you're going to attract scammers, of course. But we see this as a really cool way, again, of just rewarding creativity, of not having it be a scam. Again, ours are free. Um, and just really, can we build a franchise outside of Hollywood, which Hollywood disadvantages creativity and originality and uh, really, you know, has strained the creators when you have to go to Hollywood begging for a chance, right? And so we're trying to build outside 
um, of the traditional system and then eventually get there. But after we have a little bit more leverage, um, and it's honestly been really creatively fulfilling. It's been one of my favorite projects, um, building the world and the story of Azerbaijan. That sounds so exciting. And tell me about the, the, the audience and the, the, the fans at this point, are they, are they aware of it yet? Are you building or, or oh, yeah. is it all, okay. This is all public. Yeah. Okay. So, so very, very, so although you're not launched, you're kind of teasing it with characters and story yeah. elements and yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny, we haven't launched, <laughs> but we already have about uh, 200, maybe 300 fans who've created characters and fan fiction <laughs> in Azerbala. We have um, two people and, you know, right now it's all taking place on Twitter and Discord primarily, but we have two people, uh, two different people have created two different banks set in the world of Azerbala and they get into Twitter feuds. We have a fashion house, we have a cafe, we have a drug dealer, we have a gambler, and it's all fictional characters set in the world of Azerbala. And again, it hasn't even launched. And so for me, it's this indication of people love stories. People love stories and they love fan fiction. And this sort of combines all of it. And it's interesting to have the fan fiction being created alongside the canon, uh, but it's 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 really wonderful. And we've built genuine relationships with a lot of these sort of core fans who are also, you know, from a more business mind, they're sort of IP or brand evangelists who are helping bring more awareness to the project itself. Amazing. That's, that's, that's incredible. So you, you're sort of building your thousand true fans, if you like, as, as, as you're developing the story yes. and, is that is that that sounds this is a little bit stressful like you're kind of like making sure that you you know the world that you're 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 building over there isn't going to be uh suddenly undermined by the, the the drug dealer coming doing something crazy over there i don't know but what how how does that work yeah that it's funny you mentioned that when we first launched our website um and we, now our website is a, we've kind of scaled it back a little bit. I think for this reason, when we first launched the website, it was this beautiful, interactive, very detailed world. Um, I, for the League of Legends fans out of there, it was a little bit like the map of Terra. Um, and our, our uh, honestly, our North Star comparison is League of Legends, um, which created Arcane. But, you know, what they did, you know, it's a game, but now there's all this beautiful, rich lore and character development on their website. And we saw that and we're like, okay, we want to do this. We want to start with building Runeterra and then, you know, create our arcane. The um, amazing Netflix show, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, and so we started with this map and that's when people's imaginations went wild. And I was, had people, multiple people in my Twitter DMs, like, Hey, I have an idea, you know, for, I want the drug dealer to work with the main villain and, Oh, we want to like, you know, do a coup. And it was just like, wait, okay, hold on everybody. Let's get to act one. And then we can talk from there. So it was a little stressful at first. Um, not even, it wasn't, I wouldn't even say stressful because everyone was so eager to be creative. And so now we have to, uh, now we're sort of rolling it out um, with a little bit more focus and a little bit more attention 
um, or, or a little bit more direction and where we want people's attention at the start. Yeah. I, wow. Um, really exciting. And can people um, still um, uh, get a NFT at this stage or is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to, you have to be a little well-versed in NFTs. Um, and so the, yeah, if you go on to ozerbala.com, um, there's a lot of information there. Um, a lot of them are available right now on the secondary market. Uh, I think I, to be honest, am not really keeping track with where ETH is relative to the dollar. Um, but I think you can get, uh, our mint pass. Oh my gosh. Now I'm going to give a little bit of a lesson on NFTs, but because it's pre-launch, there's only a mint pass and a mint pass will get you an Azurian. Um, and so that, that system, you don't have to do anything for it. You just have to have the mint pass and you'll get your Azurian. The, there are downsides and plus sides to having the mint pass. You don't know what your character will look like, right? It's all generative. So um, some people like getting the mint pass because it's a little bit like playing the lottery. You might end up, you don't know what you're going to get. Some people like to wait until all the Azurians are revealed. And so you can see what your Azurian looks like. You might want one with blue hair. You might want a man. You might want a woman. You might want one that looks a little bit more non-binary. You might want, you know, one with a sword. Who knows? So uh, you can, you know, that's sort of the game with NFTs. Um, but so right now, I believe they're, I, I don't even know what the price is right now, but they're definitely not, that much money. But I would say if you're new to NFTs, just to make it simple for yourself, start by getting one on the secondary market. I think they're probably like $50 um, versus if you wanted to get one for free, it's a little more convoluted. Um, and you'd have to, I don't know if we want to turn this whole session into an NFT 101. <laughs> no, that's okay. We can, uh, maybe, maybe another time, but yeah, that's, uh, that's just, it's just interesting to know what the sort of mechanics are, I guess, in the, um, and that process well how how exciting um and what are your um what, as, a, as a creator as an artist what's your sort of guiding light emma what what is it what is it that what's the common thread that runs through all your work yeah i even have the punchy tagline for it um my work is evil with a heart so dark in story tone genre theme but always with a through line of hope and how do, and how do you decide where to devote your efforts and do you do you yeah what what do you have a sort of a, a process for, for that yeah i I'll, I'll get concrete with some of my some of my current examples um i this last year was a really big year for writing for me and again, now, you know, um, we're in the strike. So a lot of it's on pause, at least um, to, to continue developing professionally. Um, but, you know, this time last year, basically, it's like, you know what? I want to write just a, um, like a, a fun kind of cat and mouse uh, thriller. I don't want it to be too deep or too heavy. Um, I just want to kind of almost pull a, a log line out of a hat kind of thing and and write. And, you know, I wrote a draft of it for sure. Um, one thing I've never had any trouble with is writing. Um, in fact, if, if anything, my sort of uh, demon, we, you know, as an artist, we all have 
demon. Um, my demon is I will mistake page count. So how many pages I did a day, I will equate that with productivity. Um, but sometimes with the creative process, you don't always need to be at your computer writing to prove to who, I don't know, but to prove that you're being productive. But so I wrote this draft. There was absolutely no heart in it. And I realized that. Um, but what I did love was the setting. I was like, okay, well, what am I actually trying to say? And that's why this was a really big year. Cause I feel like I came back to my roots of that evil with a heart of, uh, for me, you know, especially with ha- how much turmoil there's been in Hollywood, even before the strike, um, you know, one thing that my, my, um, I'll give credit here to my manager. She's like, Emma, you really, when you write, you have something to say. So figure out what you want to say. Cause that's, that's what you do best. Um, trying to write like a fun action thriller when you don't, your heart's not in it, it just didn't land. So I went back and really thought, okay, well, what am I trying to say? And I, for me, you know, what ties everything together to answer your question, Alex, is that in particular, that with art, with film, with writing, it's not just entertainment. It's something deep inside my chest that I need to rip out of me because if I don't, it will consume me. And so this led to writing this, this project I just finished, um, which is the cosmic horror story. And it's a, a story that's a metaphor for climate change and, and really philosophically what I believe about climate change and how we survive it. Um, a story about hope, you know, when and why you need to have hope and why it's so important. And I don't think it's a, an accident that once I redefined the definition of productivity, not page count, but worth, worth in terms of is this saying and communicating what I believe, because that's what art is to me. Um, it, it's a perspective articulated through a unique voice. And um, I'll give Waterman as an example of that as well. You know, Waterman um, was my fourth, no, sixth script. It's my sixth script. The previous five I had written before that were similar to what I had done this last year, right? Where it was kind of um, trying to figure out my voice, but really just sort of pulling, just like coming up with log lines or different genres or what I thought would be pitchable or sellable high concepts to write. The benefit of all those five previous screenplays uh, that I wrote in my early 20s was that I learned the writing process and the structure of a feature screenplay, not discounting that at all, but I didn't, I wasn't saying anything with them. And then with Waterman, I, what I, I was um, going through some personal loss at the time and death was omnipresent. And it was like, how do you, how, how do I, what do I feel about death? What do I think about death? And, and all of these kind of thoughts and, and, and deep feelings, I was able to pour into my work and created Waterman, which the log line is a young boy uh, discovers his mother has a terminal illness and ventures deep into the woods to find a mythic figure called the Waterman, who legend says knows the secret to immortality. And that's really, you know, the sort of idea here with death that it is so scary. And you, when someone is going through it, all you want to do is help them. Um, but often by trying to help them and, uh, and save them, you're missing the point, which is to spend every day with them, loving them. Um, and so 
I finally said something and I don't think, I don't think it's an accident either there that it was the first script that broke me out professionally. Um, cause I, I tapped into my unique perspective and, and trusted my voice and myself. Wow. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, how do you refresh yourself as an artist? How do you sort of, you know, recharge? I love that question. Um, it's a really important question. Um, especially, you know, for those of you who like me will work yourself to the bone, will cancel on plans or delay things in life because you, uh, if you can just work a little bit harder, maybe you can, you know, make it. So that is such a good, really good question. Um, one thing that is so funny to me is when I actually, when I get stuck, um, and sometimes I don't even know it, but when I walk away from my computer or walk away from work and literally sometimes when I'm on a walk or a hike, inspiration will strike. So I think it's actually best for your artistic process. If you find a way to completely disengage from work, because it will, sources of inspiration will, will come like gifts, like epiphanies from your mind. So I think just from a truly professional standpoint, it's really important to, to take that time away. Um, one thing I, I will do often, um, this is directly pulled from Stephen King, um, set out your goals for the day. And, you know, if we were to have this conversation a year ago, my goals would definitely be, be would be page count. Um, how many pages did you write a day? Now I've redefined what a productive day looks like. It means am I getting closer to the truth of what I want to say? So if I'm writing a scene in a, in a script and it just doesn't really make sense or I'm not, I'm not feeling it, I will stop writing. I will watch a movie that inspires me. I will read a book on writing. I have a few for if we want to go into them. I just finished one that has absolutely blown my mind and I'm going to keep referencing for a long time. Um, or I'll go on a walk. Um, I'll just do something to, you know, that I'm not hitting the truth of what I'm trying to say. And so I'll step away. But so anyway, um, every week I write out, um, my ideal list of what I want to do that week. Uh, it's also, you know, a really good way to sort of have a macro understanding of, you know, am I working toward my goals? Um, and be a little bit careful with goals. I definitely got spun up in, um, a bit of a hamster wheel of my own design, trying to hit goals arbitrarily. Um, but still, I think it's important to have vaguely in Q4, I want to have a, a first draft of my project done. Um, that's enough wiggle room to account for the days you don't have inspiration. Um, so I will write out uh, Sunday night what I want to do in terms of work. If I finish early, take a break. Um, and, and again, and now is a little bit of a long-winded answer, but to your point, Alex, it's really important when you finish to stop, don't keep pushing yourself to do more. This is a job. The dream job is still a job. And, you know, I think a lot of us have friends who don't work in the film industry. Um, sometimes they'll take, you know, Friday afternoons off or they stop work at 3 PM. Um, and it's really important when you do your goals to reward yourself, go to that workout class. I'm also saying this to myself too, and I'll probably say it every year. 
Um, go take time to go to that workout class, go see your friends, go do something fun. What's amazing is that you will find new places for inspiration and actually become more productive if you enjoy your life along the way. And I'm, again, I'm glad we're talking now because last year, Emma Dell would have a, she, she'd be like, fun, there's no time for fun. <laughs> I'm working. Um, but yeah, I think this is a really emotionally and psychologically taxing field, especially if you're, you know, dealing with topics like death and climate change, you're going to need to find ways to have fun and find joy and thus hope. Well, uh, this is, uh, this has been great. Um, I was going to ask you your advice for, for storytellers, but I really feel like you've, you've given so much there, but uh, really valuable and, you know, was part of, you know, from a crazy process for mental health, for just, yeah, all around well-being um but did you did you have anything else emma you'd like to to share one thing you might one day have a project where you're getting paid to do something and when you do that often you have to do what they what whoever whoever's paying you you'll have to do what they want when you are working on something for free only work on something you love don't work on something that you think oh this could be um sellable or oh i think this is commercial don't do that. If it's what you love, that's different. But work on something that you are so passionate about that you wake up in the morning excited to work on and you go to sleep still thinking about. Write what you love or create what you love. Amazing. Thank you, Emma, for joining the show. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Emma Needell recorded as part of Future of Film Incubator 2023. If you want to check out more about Emma and any of her other guests on the show, just head over to futureoffilm.live. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for our monthly newsletter? So that just leaves me to say thank you again for listening and hope to see you back on the podcast very soon. Mm-hmm.